You're listening to Preston's Poetry Podcast. In the last episode, we talked about how to read poems slowly and observe silence when the poet includes a dash. We've talked about enjambment and how you don't stop at the end of the line if it doesn't end in some kind of punctuation. We've also talked about internal initial and end rhyme. And the poems of the last few episodes have largely included rhyme schemes of some sort. That helps the listener repeat and memorize the poem, triggering our brain's ability to recognize patterns. Today I want to address something that may keep people from understanding or feeling like they don't understand poetry. I think in schools, teachers try to teach students seminal poems with multiple layers of meaning. The hope is that students then get overwhelmed with the brilliance that they learn to love it. Well, they get overwhelmed all right, but not with the brilliance. Some people can feel like they have to look for a metaphor, the symbolism, and really try to get what the poet really means. Poet Billy Collins wrote about this in his poem, Introduction to Poetry. Often, instead of just enjoying the process, we want to skip ahead and try to get it as quickly as possible. This goes against the whole benefit of poetry. If you put in a little bit of time, you can turn a bitter distilled shot that hurts on the way down into a delicious cocktail to sip on. So, looking at poetry as primarily a riddle to be solved, is a huge barrier to being able to understand what's going on. Poets like to make connections between usually unrelated things, like the aimlessness of feeling around a dark room looking for a way out, or comparing poetry to a bitter shot of distilled liquor. A big part of writing good poetry is learning how to see like a poet in order to make these unexpected connections. Many poets will take an object and associate that object with usually unrelated words. They might, for instance, talk about the walls of the room talking loudly. Of course, walls don't actually talk loudly. It's just, well, a poetic way of describing. This is the game of word association. It's a very powerful tool that prose authors and poets alike use to inspire new ways of thinking about things just by putting two seemingly unrelated words together. Today's poem is a good exercise in overcoming that feeling like you need to understand or look for answers. It's by Walt Whitman. He's commonly called the father of American poetry for good reason. As both a person and a poet, he's the exact opposite of Emily Dickinson. He's not a recluse. He's a socialite. He doesn't want to turn down the volume until it's silent. He wants to turn that volume all the way up. He wants to blare the music and feel the whole wave of life from it. He celebrates energy, uniqueness, strong personality. And in today's poem, Walt Whitman celebrates the power and energy of the newly invented steam train. This poem cannot be read quietly. It should be Proclaimed from the rooftops, given full voice and power. It does not have a rhyme scheme or pattern, so it's called 
free verse. Whitman is the master of free verse. Now, the same reading rules still apply as before with commas, lines, and all that. As I do the first reading, try to put aside that desire to look for hidden meaning and just imagine this big steam-powered train going through winter landscapes at full power. Follow him. Trust him. But brace yourselves for a wild ride. This is to a locomotive in winter. Thee for my wretched ative. Thee and the driving storm, even as now the snow, the winter day declining. Thee and thy panoply, thy measured duel throbbing in thy beat convulsive. Thy black cylindric body, golden brass and silvery steel. Thy ponderous sidebars, parallel and connecting rods, gyrating, shuttling at thy sides. Thy metrical, now swelling, pant and roar, now tapering in the distance. Thy great protruding headlight fixed in front. Thy long, pale, floating vapor pennants tinged with delicate purple. The dense and murky clouds out belching from thy smokestack. Thy knitted frame, thy springs and valves, the tremulous twinkle of thy wheels, thy train of cars behind, obedient, merrily following, through gale or calm, now swift, now slack, yet steadily careering, type of the modern, emblem of motion and power, pulse of the continent, for once, Come serve the muse, and merge in verse, even as here I see thee, with storm and buffeting gusts of wind and falling snow, by day thy warning ringing bell to sound its notes, by night thy silent signal lamps to swing. Fierce-throated beauty, roll through my chant with all thy lawless music, thy swinging lamps at night, thy madly whistled laughter echoing Rumbling like an earthquake, rousing all. Law of thyself complete, thine own track firmly holding. No sweetness debonair of tearful harp or glib piano thine. Thy trills of shrieks by rocks and hills returned. Launched o'er the prairies wide, across the lakes, to the free skies, unpent and glad and strong. I'm obsessed with this poem. It's yet another one that gets stuck in my head, which is incredible because it has no rhyme or meter pattern. I love those last lines. Launch o'er the prairies wide, across the lakes, to the free skies, unpent and glad and strong. Oh, they're just excellent. They're so addicting. They feel so alive and excited, inspired, electric. If you were to look at this poem, trying to figure out what a locomotive in winter might actually mean, spending the whole time not imagining the chugga 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 of a big powerful train plowing through snow and mountain, you would miss the whole energy of it. It's like Whitman is saying, wow, I love the steam engine trains. They're so cool and full of energy. And then we respond, hmm, what do you really mean by that? He tells us all the powerful things he loves about the train by going part by part 
addressing the train as an authority, as the. The train, in the driving storm, even as now, when the winter snow is falling, even in the daytime. He says, thee in thy panoply, which means a full suit of armor or an impressive display. The sounds throbbing and convulsive. He describes its black cylindric body and its solid parts of golden brass and silvery steel. The bars on the wheels parallel and connecting, gyrating, shuttling at its sides. The sound of its pant and roar, metrical and beating, as it gets closer to him and then passes him, tapering into the distance. All of these imagery descriptions and the words he uses to describe the train in sensory terms, the sounds, the feel of the metal, the details, serve to communicate exactly the kind of thing he wants to celebrate. This piece-by-piece imagery of a train draws us in, allows us to see like he sees in the details. I mean, yeah, we could, sure, just look at a photo of a train bellowing smoke through a wintry landscape. Yeah, I mean, sure, we could do that. But where's the celebration in that? Where's the excitement, the enjoyment? Appreciating all of its parts, the sounds, the materials, the sights. It's a poetic experience looking at it. Appreciating all of its parts, the sounds, the materials, the sights. It's a whole poetic experience looking at it that way. He says, Train, for once come serve the muse and merge in verse even as here I see thee. Greek poets believed that goddesses called muses gave words and inspiration. Poets have always felt like their words were not their own. Here, Whitman calls on the train to not just be a vehicle for transporting passengers or coal, but to be a brilliant emotional sight, a display of power and innovation. Now, for all my saying that we shouldn't look at things as symbols outright, I have to confess, Whitman actually does directly tell us that this train is a symbol. He says, the train is a type of the modern, emblem of motion and power. Now, we don't need to go looking for it, though. He says it for us. If we just read it for what it is and enjoy it, he's generous enough to not hide that so that we can just follow along passively and not have to beat it with a hose to find out what it really means. Even though this isn't a sonnet, it still has a turn. After describing all the things he likes about the train, praising it for all its splendid details, he talks to it directly. He calls it a fierce-throated beauty, telling it to roll through my chant with all its details, its lawless music, its swinging lamps at night, echoing, rumbling like an earthquake. Now, the train will not literally roll through chant. Its music isn't music, and it's certainly not lawless. Poets do often use objects as symbols. When they have one extended example, like Whitman with this train, it's called a conceit. They usually see elements of this thing as related to some other thing about life. In this case, Whitman loves energy, self-appreciation, self-love, confidence, optimism, and he sees the train as having that kind of energy. He loves, for instance, 
the fact that the train always goes on its own path, thine own track firmly holding. He says, law of thyself complete, and uses this train as a celebration of being happy and proud of oneself, not quietly, but triumphantly. Then he ends the poem in some of my favorite lines in all of verse. Launched o'er the prairies wide, across the lakes, to free skies, unpent and glad and strong. The freedom and energy in those lines is unmistakable and pleasurable. Now, while this is a conceit, a symbol, it's just as beautiful if we think he's talking about a train. So the point here is to introduce you to a poem in which there is a symbol, but that the poem is itself already so full of lovely, pleasurable, inspiring images that it's worth listening to on its own. If you are rereading this poem fresh, these ongoing descriptions of the train might tempt you to scramble for answers about what every little detail is a metaphor for. But then you miss all this exciting way of seeing trains. Look, the task of connecting this image to real life is not your job. It's his. And he does it brilliantly. Reading it with energy is the only good way to read it. It's lively, sensory, and celebratory. Enjoy it. Celebrate with Whitman. So have another listen and just take it all in. Thee for my wretched ative. Thee in the driving storm, even as now, the snow, the winter day declining. Thee in thy panoply, thy measured dual throbbing and thy beat convulsive. Thy black cylindric body, golden brass and silvery steel. Thy ponderous sidebars, parallel and connecting rods, gyrating, shuttling at thy sides. Thy metrical, now swelling, pant and roar, now tapering in the distance. Thy great protruding headlights fixed in front. Thy long, pale, floating vapor pennants tinged with delicate purple. The dense and murky clouds out belching from thy smokestack. Thy knitted frame, thy springs and valves, the tremulous twinkle of thy wheels, the train of cars behind, obedient, merrily following, through gale or calm, now swift, now slack, yet steadily careering. Type of the modern, emblem of motion and power, pulse of the continent, for once, come, serve the muse, and merge in verse, even as here I see thee, with storm and buffeting gusts of wind and falling snow. By day, thy warning ringing bell to sound its notes. By night, thy silent signal lamps to swing. Fierce-throated beauty, roll through my chant with all thy lawless music, thy swinging lamps at night, thy madly whistled laughter echoing, rumbling like an earthquake, rousing all. Law of thyself complete, thine own track, firmly holding. No sweetness debonair of tearful harp or glib piano thine. Thy trills of shrieks by rocks and hills returned, launched o'er the prairies wide, across the lakes 
to the free skies, unpent and glad and strong. While this is not written in a form, it does have some beat sounds, like recitative. A lot of audiobooks and readings on the internet will mispronounce this first line as recitative instead of recitative, which just audibly sounds like a train. Chicka-chicka-cha. Recitative. If you want to try it, write about every little detail of something that you like. Describe each of those details and then take a turn to say how it makes you feel to soak the sight or sound of it in. Write it not as a sweet or tender reflection, but as a wild, high-volume celebration, emboldened and inspired. Whitman was a very influential poet and has inspired basically every poet of the West ever since. Poets have learned from him how to describe things in details, sensing the life and energy in the world around us, in a way we're often numb to. American poet laureate Joy Harjo wrote an entire book about her journey to seeing like a poet in her memoir called Poet Warrior. I highly recommend the audiobook. First of all, it's her reading it, so it's just excellent. But also, her journey to seeing like a poet in that book follows similar paths as other creative geniuses like Walt Whitman. It can be a nice accompaniment to your morning commute by car over the swelling, sweltering summer highway or barreling through the dormant, dreary winter by train. Hey y'all, Preston here. Thanks for tuning in. My favorite lines of today's poem, of course, were launched over the prairies wide, across the lakes, to the free skies, unpent and glad and strong. Tell me yours or ask me stuff on Preston's Poetry Podcast Instagram or Facebook page or via the website, PrestonsPoetryPodcast.com. We'll see y'all.